Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, it's the time of year where I remind you that if you do feel obligated to give gifts, you really couldn't do better than a pleasure check, the custom vouchers from the pleasure chest. From November 29th through December 31st, you can snag a pleasure check in stores for all purchases over $100. That's in store only at the pleasure chests in New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago. For every $100 you spend, you get a $15 pleasure check. For every $150, you get $25. For every $200, you get $30. Offer valid on in-store purchases under $1,000, redeemable through March 31st, 2020. These can't be used for same-day purchases or combined with any other offers. And if you can't decide what to buy, either to earn your pleasure check or spend your pleasure check, why not try a holiday kit? These are available both in-store and online on PleasureChest.com. Far better than a novelty gift, they're assembled by pleasure experts to give you everything you want, all in one spot. If you are going to be shopping online on PleasureChest.com, check out the Snow Job Sale. Enjoy 10% off orders of $200 or more between December 3rd and January 1st. That discount is applied automatically at checkout. And don't forget, you can follow at Pleasure Chest Stores on Instagram and Twitter for up-to-the-minute info on these deals and much more from this sex-positive community icon. Ring in the new year with the Pleasure Chest. And now, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Wire People Into That Live at the Pleasure Chest in New York City. Well done. I'm Tina Horn, and I uh, spent the weekend at Comic-Con, so I'm a little under the weather, so I've got that, like, extra throaty, like, fluids, juicy, um, sexy thing going on, so you're welcome. Uh, I'm, so I'm Tina Horn, and Why Are People Into That is my slutty, kinky, queer, perverted-as-fuck sexuality podcast. I've been producing and hosting Why Are People Into That 100% independently for over five years now. And in the past couple of years, I've been recording some episodes live in front of a studio audience, a, ba- a base, a subterranean audience, <laughs> often right here at the Sex Positive Sex Toy Retailer Pleasure Chest. Now, it is October. The nights are getting longer. And I wanted to dive into a little bit of darkness with an, uh, with an episode slash edition of Why Are People Into That Live on Ritual. And the main difference between the regular Wired People Into That podcast and the live show is that instead of choosing one sexuality topic, we cover a whole spectrum. And instead of one guest, I have two. So my guests today are Yin Q. Say hello, Yin. Hello. Uh, and Iona Pearl. Say hello. Hello. So let me tell you a little bit about them. 
Yin Q is a BDSM ritualist and educator, mother to two fierce children and two calm animals, and writer of Mercy Mistress, a web series based on Q's memoirs of coming into kink and sex work. Mercy Mistress is executive produced by Margaret Cho. Yin founded Kink Out to bring together intersectional peoples of the leather kink communities for art, conversation, and activism. Yin's writing is in Bust, Afro-Asia, Queer Magic, Apogee Journal, and the upcoming hashtag WeToo anthology published by Feminist Press. They are currently working on a documentary on Red Canary Song, the sex worker organization that advocates for Asian migrant massage parlor workers. Everybody give it up for Yin. Yin's social handles are at YinQ13, at KinkOut, and at Red Canary Song. Uh, Yin, I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't warn you about this because uh, I thought of it on the train on the way here. Um, I, I, I want to shamelessly promote uh, my new comic book, Safe Sex, which is out now from Image Comics, um, while also praising your consulting skills. So one thing that's really amazing about uh, being new to writing fiction is uh, when you're a kinky queer pervert, and you're writing like action adventure scenes, you can be like, okay, I have this character who uh, is is being arrested uh, and needs, I need her to like escape from the cops and like get out of bondage. Um, but I actually am a really lousy at, at bondage. Please don't tell <laughs> anyone who's hiring me as a dominatrix. Um, but I, my bondage skills are, are um, uh, pathetic. I keep trying and it just, I don't know if it'll ever happen. But anyway, so, uh, but then luckily I do have people that I can, that I can call up or write and be like, uh, Yin, you are a bondage expert. How would a character get really quickly out of bondage? Um, and, uh, and then I can like weave it into my story. So Yin, I would love it if you would tell folks, like if, if, if they were, if they found themselves, um, in bondage that they wanted to get out of, what are some techniques that they might use? <laughs> yeah, I think I came up with like the funniest <laughs> ones. Um, um, I believe some, I mean, well, using Houdini's old tricks of, um, actually slashing a little piece of, you know, part uh, and hiding, um, a key inside like a slab of skin, basically, and a part of your body that has been cut and kind of inserting it into, did into Houdini, your skin. Did Houdini really do that? I believe so. That's so hot. Sadomasochistic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Max. I, yeah. I think so, yeah. Mm. Um, I think I came up with some, like, well, first of all, if you, drink, if you like, eat a lot of salt right. and you become extremely bloated, <laughs> then, like, the bloating goes down. I don't mm-hmm. know. There was something... Um, what else? What else? Well, the, the one that, that I ended I up using you. was hypermobility. And so sometimes right. people are born with hypermobility, but you were saying that you can train yourself to be hypermobile and that maybe also Houdini did that? Um, I believe that he, he was able to undo a shoulder. But yeah, I've definitely seen um, and I've played with people who they can just simply unlock a, uh, unlock a shoulder blade or like a, an elbow and be able to slip out of things that you don't think that m- yeah, most people aren't able to slip out of. So if you're double jointed yeah. um, and people don't know you're double jointed. Then. And also there's ways of like actually flexing your muscle muscles when um, handcuffs have gone on mm. and then um, you're able to slip through them, which I have done. <laughs> uh, so how, how does it make you, have you ever had a scene with someone where they're like kind of being a brat and they're like flexing while you're talking? Like, can you tell that somebody is doing that and that they're trying to like outsmart you or something so that they can wiggle out and if they do that how do you punish them yeah i actually talked to all of my bondage bottoms anyone who wants to like bottom to me as a bondage uh, i negotiate 
really, and I hit that point like hard. I said, if you want a Houdini, you have to wait until I tell you like go. Otherwise, like while I'm actually in the midst of putting bondage on you, you can't just start like wriggling out. I'm not going to like put up with you just like, yeah, changing your body <laughs> to, to, to kind of be up against it. Um, so that's not fun for you as a bondage top to sort of deal with somebody struggling. No, because I'm not. I'm not there to overpower them. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not looking there to, to wrestle them. I'm not in a wrestle, wrestling play. Um, no, I just want them to go into the bondage. And if they want to try and get out, then that's fine. And I've definitely put stakes on that. Where we've had, yeah, made that into a game. What kind of stakes? <laughs> <laughs> that's for another podcast. Okay. <laughs> like if you get out of bondage, I'll make you a stake. <laughs> Yeah, there's like, you know, lots of different rewards you can give to can give to your submissive. It depends on like whether they're a client or whether they're a personal submissive. Totally. So you can imagine on the different, yeah, the different wonderful things that can be offered. Cool. Well, thank you for speaking to that. And thanks for being my, my bondage consultant. I'm sure I will have escape scenes that I need your help with in the future. <laughs> Did you have a chance to look at the bondage that they have for sale upstairs here at the Pleasure Chest? I looked at some of the things, mostly I saw the ropes, mm-hmm. were fan- which are fantastic. Um, I love that all the different colors. I think that what kept coming, I kept looking at that were the, um, the chastity pieces. Um, and I'm just curious, yeah, I was just curious to see like what other kind of Lego pieces were coming out. Because <laughs> I feel like every year there's always a new rendition of, of those chastity pieces. But they looked really interesting and, and new and fantastic. Um, cool. And then... I really like so like the the bondage sling slings that are coming out. They kind of remind me of um, the yoga slings at the same time that I'm, I'm seeing online. So I'm th- wondering if you can like just get a bondage sling and basically do do both things. Why not? You know, like you can do your aerial yoga. You can it can be the sex toy and the sex sling and yeah everything else. Um, yeah, I was at a. Uh, mutual friend of ours um, has a dungeon and uh, their landlord, this was recently, and their, their landlord was going to be coming by and they were like, and they have this giant piece of custom bondage equipment and they were like, I just threw some like aerial silks up there. Do you think that this is going to, this is going to convince them? And we walked in and I was like, I'm, I'm totally convinced. I w- and apparently the landlord didn't blink. So yeah. if you're looking to stealthily incorporate your custom bondage equipment, <clears throat> into your house um yeah just get some aerial silks and and then maybe also you can do some exercising your day i don't know <laughs> practicing on them stretching stretching, stretching. so many different ways <laughs> excellent thank you so much so next up we have iona pearl who is the assistant manager and sex specialist at the pleasure chest upper east side which is where we are right now they are a queer black femme and energetic libra have you had we're in the middle of libra season right now next week is my birthday next week is your birthday fabulous happy birthday Iona Pearl is an abortion, contraception, and miscarriage doula, an aspiring social worker. In their free time, Iona Pearl enjoys reading, sister outsider, eating, sour patch children, and crystals, tiger's eye. Everybody give it up for Iona Pearl. And their social is at Iona the Pearl. Uh, Iona Pearl, can you tell us a little bit about what it means to be an abortion, contraception, and miscarriage doula? Yeah, um, I think that a lot of pe- there's a, the misconception that a doula and a, um, a midwife are, are the same thing, um, but they're actually pretty different. Um, doulas generally will provide informational 
emotional and physical support to someone um, during a procedure, such as like having an IUD inserted, um, having a miscarriage or abortion procedure, um, or just having a consultation with their doctor. Um, this was something that I started doing a couple of years ago um, through a great uh, nonprofit organization called the Reproductive Health Access Project. Um, I had an internship with them, and part of that was providing um, doula care in the partner clinic that they were involved in. Um, yeah, it was a great experience. Um, it was complicated in that it was um, a... Uh, family health um, institute where um, people were being trained um, to perform these procedures um, and it was also um, an institute wherein a lot of the people um, who were receiving care are people who are low-income folks who come from marginalized communities and were receiving care from folks who were in training so there was some complication around that um, but it was a great experience cool Amazing, thanks for speaking to that. So I am really excited today to talk about ritual. And I guess I'll start by asking you, Ian, I feel like you're somebody who was one of the first people who I became aware of integrating intentional ritual and like even using that word in their BDSM, both what you offer professionally and I know, you know, what you do in the sort of larger scale of your life. Can you just speak to what is the role of ritual in BDSM for you and why are people into that? Like why, mm -hmm. why, uh, why incorporate ritual into kink and BDSM play? Sure. Um, I think because during my sexual awakening and, and really going hard into sadomasochism and bondage um, it was really sloppy you know <laughs> I would just go in um, sometimes not even with negotiations and just really just you know out of nowhere just like want to slap somebody or get slapped or just really egg someone on or and then once I found like the rules of BDSM to negotiate even then ritual starts to, to seep into into your play but at the same time you can st sometimes with certain partners you you would just start playing and there would be like no, um, no circle or no beginning, no closure um, to actually hold space and kind of create um, a, a session time for personal play. Uh, as I saw for myself, as I was playing with professionally, uh, there was more intention of like creating the scene and sort of like taking it outside of, um, you know, your normal... Um, personal play exchange and really like creating um, whether it's a role play scene or like really creating something that was going to have an arc to it and curating everything about it in terms of like what music was going to be played what's the senses that are going on what um what you know what kind of textures did I want to use during that scene um, and then also what was the messaging what was the, what was I trying to convey as a top and what did I want from my bottom and what did my bottom want from me you know that so um as I was playing that way professionally, was, I found more and more that that's what I wanted also for my personal play. And uh, for me, going to see other doms um, and mentors as a bottom, I really was able to then find ways of like 
bringing the intention to move past um, certain things that in my life that I've ha had blockages with. Um, so I bring things like my journals or my poetry or like, you know, just, um, or just like any part of my demons from the past and just like bring them into the room. Poetry so that I demons. Exactly. <laughs> oh, believe me. <laughs> Some people have actually asked me to read their poetry to them while they're being flogged. And I'm like, yeah, I can understand. The anybody torture. Read, the, the torture. <laughs> I can't believe anybody read the, my poetry. That was probably. Oh my God, like old Facebook posts, old MySpace posts. Or like, like yeah. yeah, teenage poetry. Oh my God. I'm feeling like, mercy, yeah. mercy, no, red. <laughs> um, but no, just being able to ring my, my demons and saying like, okay, this is something that I want to work on. This is what I want to get flogged out of me. Like I want this beaten out of me. I want to be able to breathe it out. I want to be able to put it in front of me and really know that I'm working through this one issue right now. Um, so for me, it was really seeing how that worked for me and, and feeling like it wasn't, the end-all be-all of therapy you know it didn't make me like up the perfect person the next day but it was able to like I was able to release a lot of tensions around certain you know issues during different parts of my life yeah and as I go forward I find that like having those rituals really gives me that time as I said just to have a circle around the the time that I'm spending with whichever partner I'm playing with it is amazing how when you do have experience with sex work, you know, there's this misconception that sex, that, well, it, there's a misconception that money takes all of the intimacy and all of the potential for connection out of, uh, out of sexuality, that the transaction, you know, cheapens it, that somehow introducing money cheapens it or empties it. But you are really speaking to something that I've experienced as well, which is the fact that sometimes money creates a structure and helps to set an intention and helps to create a negotiation and agreement that maybe we're not taught as much to bring into our sexuality that our sexuality could benefit from. Absolutely. I learned a lot from <laughs> that. From that money. Exact, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Iona Pearl? Do you have thoughts on, on ritual and sex and BDSM? Yes, definitely. Um, I think that for me, ritual, a lot of it is about creating structure, like forcing someone when you're hitting them to like count the number of like strokes or like if you're like, I love clothespins, I love pinching people. And I love to have someone like count out and like arrange in a very specific way the clothespins I'm going to use on them before I use them on them. But I also feel like creating, um, especially with someone who you like create a regular practice with, um, having those sorts of rituals are all, are also, is also like building a foundation of trust. Totally. Um, and like familiarity um, before going into like things that you like have talked about, but maybe not done before. Absolutely. Let's start with solo play. Like if we want to bring more ritual into our masturbation, self-love, self-care routines, where do we start? Well, I think for me, it's about like creating giving myself that that same love that I would to any partner of like lighting a candle 
putting on music that I want to listen to, putting on clothes that I want to like feel sexy in. Yeah. Um, and this is like an elaborate masturbation scene is what I'm thinking. <laughs> this is not your like, you know, super quickie before you go to sleep thing. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, really giving yourself that time to then like set yourself up with whether you're going to watch, watch a wonderful video or whether you're going to read, a, read an erotic story, um, putting all your toys out and kind of getting yourself into that headspace of like, okay, I want to go into that deep breathing and you know, make sure that I'm hitting all of my spots so that I can like get that full body, incredible spiritual experience with myself. Yeah. I feel like sometimes when we set more of an intention for our solo play and kind of treat it more like a date, it can help us to get out of our routine and sort of, I don't know, like I've found that I've had different kinds of experiences or different kinds of orgasms that I forgot that I could make myself feel. And I think that ritual is really good for that. What about you? I, have a pearl. I like to create um, moods, uh, particularly like with certain scents. Um, like I love lavender. So for me, that could mean like using a lavender soap, then like making sure I have lavender in my room like fresh lavender particularly, um, or like also having like a sachet of it on me, um, just like creating like a very aromatic atmosphere um, yeah. is something that's really nice and relaxing for me and um, kind of like gets me out of my head and more into my body a little bit. Yeah, and they say that that scent is so associated with memory. And I think that just like a little bit of a spray of like lavender or if you like rose or I don't know, like bergamot or peppermint or something like that. Like if you, if you start to associate that smell with like solo play time or partner time or a group party or just like any kind of arousal, then just like a little, a little spritz can sink you into that space in a really powerful way. And it's so simple and affordable. Yeah. Something else I've been doing too, um, I think in the past two years is using the Sledest tarot card. Oh yeah. <laughs> I love using those um, for solo and partner play in terms of just like, you know, just doing, pulling a tarot card because the Sledest one always brings you like, I don't know, brings a lot of fun kink um, and personality into into their tarot. So. Well, let's talk, let's talk more about, about incorporating tarot into your sex life. So wait, so, so, so what do you do? You like, you have a tarot deck and you pull a card mm-hmm. and then, and then where, where do you go from there? Like, is that an inspiration? Is it something that you are meditating on while yeah. you're jerking it? Yeah, usually I'll, I'll pull a card. Um, if I'm playing with somebody, then I'll have them pull a card. And usually it just sparks some kind of, you know, exactly as you said, just like inspiration because it is just full of, um, you know, it's full of wicked fun. (laughs) Like every every, um, character has like its own archetype, but with super erotic and free, I don't know, super queer superheroes in there. (laughs) So totally. I always find um, it gives me some kind of insight or like even into like whatever kind of role I want to kind of take start molding myself into that's a great tip i love that any any other tips do you want to maybe expand into like partner play like things to bring ritual into partner play or how do we develop rituals that we share 
with our partners and what purpose can those rituals play in creating intimacy or bringing a spark back into a long-term relationship or creating something special between certain partners. Like if you are non-monogamous and you play with a lot of different people, maybe like something that is a ritual that you only have with one particular partner that is special to the two of you. Yeah. I think that like for, for long-term because I've been in a, in a relationship that's gone for it's about 15 years now. I think it's just constantly molding or molting rather and it's <laughs> and molding <laughs> sometimes in the corner <laughs> with some cheese. Um, but, and then you got to get it out and yeah, brush it off. Um, and although the DS is, is always still strong, it's, it's just about constantly finding some, something else that's going to um, energize our, our relationship. Like just recently, we started re- reading over some of how other people have created these these handbooks on on DS relationships, um, and that's become part of our our you know we're having a monthly reading group. <laughs> like, uh, and like kind of, and it's not that that we're not necessarily taking um, everything or subscribing to everything the other people do, but just kind of getting this idea of like what how other um, leather families have been formed, um, especially old guard leather families, and kind of like taking what we want from it um, we were just recently reading the Jack McGeorge's um, leather family <laughs> book which is really based on a lot of military experience that he was um, you know deeply involved in and so that's been fun in terms of like kind of just incorporating those ideas but then ri- with ritual for people um, I'm thinking of a particular partner that I'm just started playing with this past spring it's sort of like we're, we're rec- recreating them as we as we go, but I'm still incorporating a lot of things that I've learned that work really well for me or that I've, I've really enjoyed as a dominant, whether it's um, having somebody, you know, having them email me every every week with like just a little weekly check-in to make sure that um, we're on the same page about certain things. I ask them for a lot of photos that I'm never going to share, you know, like, yeah. and there's a trust there. 
to ensure a certain feeling. Not that you can ever guarantee that someone is going to feel a certain way because you're doing something that you've done six times and they felt that way every time. Yeah, and for me, protocol are the like the bricks of behavior that is expected. So that if there's a DS relationship, um, there's an expectation and there's a training of saying, okay, this is how I expect you to to regard me. This is how I expect you to stand in the room with me. Um, this is how I expect you to walk, behind, whether it's before or behind me. Um, and then as opposed to ritual, which is a connective, mm. which is very much like this is this is how we are going to actually regard each other and, and, and interact like a moment of connection that is a little is more heightened. Yeah, I remember when in my first few years of being a professional dominatrix that I would do doubles with other ladies and they would be maybe a little bit more what we might call high protocol where they would have their submissive clients or their their slaves they would have to get into certain positions and I was a little bit like oh this seems kind of kind of corny right but then I started to try it and I came up with my own little positions that were like somewhat based on ballet like for a second third position and like somewhat based on like getting people into the positions that I wanted them to be in for the play that we were going to do. And I I found it, uh, it was incredible how like engrossing it was that the minute that you start telling someone, I want you to stand exactly like this and like lift up your chest and put your hands behind your neck. And, and then a few minutes later, you tell them to, you say like, that's first position. And then a few minutes later, you tell them to get into first position and they do it and they like, don't do it right. And you're like, oh, you're, you're like training a dog, you know? Uh, and then, and then you're like, oh, I get it. You're my fucking dog. <laughs> and, uh, and then like that, you know, that it works for me to get into top space. It works for them to get into, into subspace. And, you know, and then if you like, are showing them off to somebody else like you're taking them to a party or you're you know you're at a dungeon and you're bringing somebody else in then you you get to say you know show off your position so like show off how well trained you are show off how obedient you are show how devoted you are to me that you show what a good listener you are and and it also separates the wheat from the shaft a little bit because like sometimes people are like ugh I actually just came here to get fucked in the ass. I like don't want to like do your little like ballet positions and uh, you know that's fine. But let like let's like <laughs> let's let's find out who you are by trying to put you through your your paces so to speak. And uh and yeah, so that that really that's another thing that that sex work taught me was to be open to like observing things from the outside and not quite getting them, but then you try them and they can feel really different from the inside. Yeah, I, I'm I'm big on the positions. <laughs> I'm very strict about the positions. Yeah, tell us more about um, positions. In terms yeah. of the hybrid protocol of, of four positions, um, I only use four because I figured like that's all I'm oh, going to remember. What are they? Remember also, <laughs> first position is a is like the child yoga pose. Uh huh. Second position is on the knees but holding your hands outright as if you're holding a tray, mm. so that I can easily lay down like my cane or my crop on their hands. But there's like on their knees but still kind of upright and so you can still get to their nipples you can get to their backside and uh, third position is standing up sort of in a military stance with hands behind the back but head gaze down Mm. and then um, fourth position is on the floor hands to the face legs spread so that yeah, and so it, it's this idea of, of like, <laughs> like like being able to get to any part of the body, and also I find that like if you tell them to go into a certain position, 
it is very much more like a military or any kind of conscious hacking of like what we want to go into of like um, a meditative state that if, if I say position two, they can go into position two and hold it and, and it, it's, it's almost like a strengthening of the will, mm. you know, and giving them um, like a purpose, you know, in their body, like it, it's letting them um, just surrender into their purpose of, of, of serving. Well, and it does make me think of yoga asanas where like you do the same poses over and over and over again in a lifetime and you don't, you know, you're not going to get bored of them because there's so much in your subtle body that you're constantly adjusting and you're also checking in with how your body and your consciousness feels different today than it may have when you did that position yesterday or a month ago or five years ago. And I can also see how certain, those positions that you just described all have gestures and metaphors and 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 moods to them like being receptive or uh and the anticipation of a certain kind of activity mm-hmm. that's fun yes like and it's a position, mental bondage which you, is also right like oh the, right that's the other thing if you tell someone to like if the you know if position five is like on their hands and knees or like on their elbows and knees with their ass in the air it's like you know you're gonna start getting in the mood to get fucked you know if you're lucky (laughs) maybe well let's talk about collaring because our audience member brought up collaring how can how can collaring be a part of a ritual or a protocol collaring for me and my like kink bdsm practice is like a beginning an intro when i put this collar on you that is the beginning of our dynamic it what I like about collaring is that it, it sometimes it feels almost like an art, even though it's a very simplistic thing. Like you, like if you have a pet, a dog, a cat, you put your collar on your animal, right? Like there is a gentleness to it sometimes, and there is a harshness to it. It also, I, I love that it really can like heighten anticipation. Totally. It makes me feel like myself and whoever is my sub are on the same page. Yeah, it makes me think of that thing where you're in line at the coffee shop and you start to feel the effects of the caffeine, even though you haven't actually had any caffeine yet because you know that the caffeine is coming and your body is like preparing itself for the caffeine. I feel like ritual and protocol can help with that. Like if you're, if a collar is being put on you or you're being put in a certain position or you're showering or certain music is on or you're smelling something or somebody is wearing a particular article of clothing or there's a certain sound that you hear, like the sound of their stilettos on the ground, like your body starts, you know, getting ready to receive discipline or receive you know, a dick or whatever it might be. Absolutely. (laughs) Thumbs up all the way. I feel like collaring is is definitely, can be super gentle. It can also be really rough if it's a metal collar. Depends on like, yeah, how it's done, but it, it can be a feeling of ownership. It's always a very loving practice, I feel. Let's talk about group play, not necessarily like playing with a group, but maybe if you're like at a play party with a partner or partners and you're going to start a scene, what are some great rituals for 
beginning and we, we've kind of been mostly talking about beginning but let's also talk about closing a scene because as I've talked about on this show many times if you've ever been in a situation where your scene is interrupted or you're playing with somebody who is really you're having a lot of fun and having a lot of connection but they kind of don't really like bring it to any kind of meaningful conclusion you can kind of be left hanging and it can kind of be an awful or confusing feeling. So um, let's talk about group play and let's also talk about how we bring things to, how we bring that narrative arc Mm -hmm. to its conclusion, to its denouement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, I've, I, you know, being a fan of protocol, I do, I do always have, have the submissive kiss my feet or, and also then ground with me. We we do our, you know, because I usually start with breathing, breath work, um, and then I also end with it. And can you give us some starting techniques if people have never used breath work in their play before? What's like a good, what's a good way to start experimenting mm. with breath work? Mm-hmm. I think it's really just you know using well, if you know going to any like yoga class, which I'm pretty sure every New Yorker has <laughs> done has to do, right? Before you could come over the bridge or tunnel um, to, get, to get into Manhattan um, or Brooklyn. I feel like um, just being able to use that, um, that warrior breath is a really good way to start the scene so that you're sort of warming the body up, getting um, um, all throughout play. I tend to keep reminding the the bottoms to breathe um, especially if they're taking impact play um, flogging I'm always telling them to open up their chest and breathe out with the with the impact so they can really feel like their body's a drum and able to like exhale anything that they want to um, get out of them I think that um, breathing for me in terms of a technique um, something that I picked up from a friend that has really worked for me in terms of facing stress or anxiety, uh, this is a good trick, is breathing in for four counts and then actually holding for four counts and then breathing out for six counts. And just the technique in, of doing that um, when I'm out, like by myself, after about three times, I'm able to like kind of get myself steady again. But that's not necessarily one that I use on, on my bottoms. I kind of want to get them like super hyper. <laughs> well, but it can be like uh, imagine if you are having trouble processing pain, or if you're starting if you're if you like bondage but you're in bondage and you're you're starting to panic. Mm-hmm. It can be a really great way to self-soothe or integrate or or to demonstrate to your top that you are like mastering your own fear. Absolutely. Also, like actually putting the hand, my, my hand sort of behind the back, behind the shoulder blades, um, uh, behind the lungs, and just telling the person to breathe into my hand and like so that they can actually feel their muscles and their lungs expand into my hand. I feel like that's always a good way to begin and end um, rituals. Oh, that's so lovely and simple. It doesn't require any gear at all. I usually start my scenes by, yes, with someone kissing my feet. Um, (laughs) I also usually have my, like, implements laid out ahead of time. And I like to drag them along someone's skin, whether that be, like, clothespins, a flogger, um, any sort of impact, or just my fingers. Sometimes if I have long nails, um, I'm a very tactile person. I also like to whisper in someone's ear what I'm going to do to them. And breathing is something that I like. I have trouble with in my own day-to-day life. 
um, but that I also have created protocols around with my subs, whether it be because I'm like doing something to them and I see that they're shaking and it seems like they're holding their breath. Um, and I'm just trying to like keep them aware of their bodies and also make sure that they don't pass out. Yeah. Breathing is a great one that I think a lot of people like there is a lot, a lot of people talk about it, but it's, it's still something that we like fail to be conscious of a lot, I think. So what are some great closing or aftercare rituals? I like people making me food. (laughs) (laughs) A good meal, tea, somebody making me tea in a a ritualized way, offering tea, um, offering a bath, offering massage. I always feel like is a really great way to to have like an aftercare and then also then having that time to have a little bit of decompression. I'm not, depending on the scene, I don't always want to go into processing right away. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I actually need um, departure, you know, from the person to be able to process and to allow them to process. And sometimes I like to hear their processing later in in email because I like to savor it um, by reading it since, yeah, we love literature. (laughs) So um, it's romantic. For me, it's, it's about like, even just getting putting the toys away as mm. a top cleaning cleaning toys, yeah. right exactly putting things away getting myself back down to sort of in, into my own skin again um, coming down off the endorphin high but making sure that I'm being fed by the other person as well like either through food or or food tops or more need food. aftercare <laughs> too people <laughs> clean up but before that I mean it really depends on what my dynamic with a person is um like if it's someone who who is like my sub who I collar sometimes that means like uncollaring them at the end of a scene sometimes that means someone is cleaning the bottoms of my feet or cleaning my feet that can also be like cuddling depending on my relationship with the person I think something that I've been running into some difficulty with recently is um, how to have good aftercare with someone like at at crowded parties. Yeah. Like finding space for aftercare can be kind of difficult, um, especially when there's the endorphin rush both from your scene, but just from the general atmosphere. Totally. Um, It can be hard to come down from that. So do we have any tips for good aftercare in overstimulating parties especially if like I don't know about y'all but I've definitely been to parties where you like finish a scene and like the person they like have a date and the the other person is like standing there with like all the gear for the next scene and they're like waiting (laughs) in line and it's like how do you bring things to a close when there's like pressure to move on or when you're just feeling like what you want is to feel alone with that person but you're surrounded by people I don't think I'm the right person to answer this because I don't go to parties anymore. <laughs> I'm in bed by 10. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, the few times that I go to parties, if if I want, you know, to actually connect connect with somebody, then I, I need to leave that space and actually then, then sort of have, even if it is just like going outside of the doors, having it be a little bit more quiet and just having that time to like, have that person show me their gratitude and then me be able to give them a hug yeah um before i Sometimes go a hug off is into all the night yeah but i'm also not i don't do a lot of to be honest i don't do a lot of pickup play at parties anymore but when i did yeah. <laughs> um yeah it would get sloppy i'd i'd have to like call the person the next day for sure i'd always text you know 
or back then talks to call the person and just yeah. be like, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, just want to make sure, sure you're okay. Um, and that was my that would be my aftercare was just making sure that person had gotten home safe. Yeah, that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. So one of the topics that Yin brought up when we were discussing what we were going to discuss today was like generally put the topic of asexuality through kink or asexuality except for kink and i'm wondering if you can speak to just in general why why that topic came up for you yeah i think to put that in context we were talking about the long-term relationships and i was kind of thinking about kink has often come in not just as sexual but also sometimes in in place of sexual interaction for me because i've gone through motherhood I'm in perimenopausal life now. Hormones sweep ups, hormones sweep down, careers, you know, projects, art, creating art is also really about birthing and <laughs> totally fucking the world so that we can birth more. <laughs> and sometimes my my, you know, appetite for flesh on flesh sexuality is not um, always so vibrant because it's just being in my art or in my womb or like in you know with with other things other creatures in my life are you just fucking so, tired yeah, yeah exactly so that's where i feel like kink has always been really strong though like it's never wavered i've never felt like not kinky i've definitely felt like not feeling sexy yeah or i mean or not feeling sexual rather and not feeling sexy and um those two can go hand in hand and but i've never felt non-kinky I've always felt like, you know what? I might not want to fuck you, but yes, I want to put you into bondage and beat you. <laughs> of course, you know? So that's almost like really been sort of a, 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 like a, just a reliable pillar in my life of being able to keep connections with certain people, especially long-term, that I've been able to, you know, it's constantly changing, yes, but there's always just been sort of like, we can go back to this because this is, this is something we know and we really rely on and it's pulled us through. I think it's a really, I was so glad that you brought it up because obviously some, there's lots of different ways to be asexual and some people are asexual, some people are aromantic, some people are demisexual and there's all kinds of really, really great conversation going on about these, these different identities and I think that it's really beautiful and I'm not asexual, but I do find that I have distinct like kinky desires for some people that I'm not necessarily like sexually attracted to. And that has been a really big change in maybe like the past like 10 years of my, my sexual life that being able to relate to people in a like quote unquote platonic way, but in a very kinky way is very fulfilling. And it kind of, it's for me like an expression of, of non-monogamy and uh, and it is also uh, nice to recognize that as we age, as we experience different stressors in our life, whether it's our career or our art or or breeding or whatever, that uh, as our as our bodies change, that we can uh, have long term relationships with people that we can relate to them erotically in lots of different ways. And I think it's it's a it's a a possibility of BDSM that doesn't get talked about enough. I think we talk a lot about like the excitement of BDSM where we talk a lot about like, did you know that you can do these kinky things by the stuff at the pleasure chest, which you should, by the way. Um, but, uh, but we don't talk about it as like a way to 
integrate intimacy and like different kinds of erotics into our lives. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm wondering, do you have anything to say about that, Iona Pearl? Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying about um, like there being people in your life who um, you aren't necessarily attracted to in a like our traditional ideas of, of like I'm attracted to this person I want to have sex with this person but also having kinky desires around them definitely what really has how BDSM has changed my life too is really challenging my idea of like what sex is mm. or in general like what is important important to me about my kinky sex life um which involves uh people who I have like no attraction to but am like very have extremely intimate play with as well yeah I, I definitely agree with the with the pet play um which I've just recently gotten a new human puppy <laughs> And I've I've never actually um, gone down that route in terms of being a handler before. Um, and interestingly enough, this, then this year I've, I've handled both kitties and puppies. And um, I just wanted to, uh, as a handler or new handler, and I've done so many different other kinds of play, but for some reason, like handling, I've just never done. And but I really realized that my, inst- like m- my persona as a handler is not a sexual one. Like I don't get turned on by the puppy. I I, I really enjoy having the puppy go into an asexual and very safe n- space. Yeah. Um, and it's almost just like a, it's, it's almost just like a purely n- nurturing one. I mean, one that, you know, requires training and, and obedience training as well, but not, and but I'm not going to beat my, my animal. <laughs> I'm not going to fuck my animal in that, <laughs> in, in that, in that space. Yeah. I mean, I think that the most important takeaway from this is that if there is something kink-wise that you are interested in, either because it's something that you, it's gear that you see at the pleasure chest that catches your attention, or you've listened to Why Are People Into That and you've heard somebody talking about a particular topic, it is completely up to you and your partner or partners and or partners what you what kind of style you what kind of erotic style you want to have for some people the bdsm that they're into always is going to involve fucking and orgasms and and penetration and uh and that kind of connection and for some people it never does and for some people it does with some people but not others and and some it, you might find that it changes in different times in your lives or there might be some activities that you feel some kinky activities that you feel extremely erotic about like you want to incorporate fucking into them and and some that you don't and it's totally up to you to decide at every moment isn't that great yeah yeah, absolutely. You can go from having like a bodily orgasm to a braingasm to like a masochasm. <laughs> All kinds of orgasms out there. What is what is a masochasm? Like a masochist orgasm, you know? <laughs> like I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When somebody's going into that like incredible, thre- like pushing that threshold of pain again and again, and they just get into that point of just blissful flight yeah (laughs) oof yeah oh yeah (sighs) okay (laughs) 
a lot of the time when when we talk about ritual and BDSM, there's either a sense that we're invoking some sort of magic, which is something that we've talked about on this show quite a few times, um, but also healing. And I think that there's a lot of really powerful and beautiful conversation happening right now in our culture about using BDSM to heal. Um, but I also kind of want to complicate that a little bit and, and talk about like in what ways is BDSM good for psychological and emotional healing and in what ways do we need to incorporate other kinds of therapeutic modalities and 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 not lean on BDSM 100% to solve all of our problems. Can you guys speak to that? I really wanted to speak about this because um yeah, a lot of my work has been talking about BDSM as healing, but I also want really wanted to stress this point that it's not the end all. The all like it's it's not like that that I've gotten to BDSM and now I'm like a healthy whole, like completely <laughs> contained and, and, you know, enlightened. Exactly. Per- person. It helped me grasp a lot and, and also then like really helped me care for myself so much through and also really be able to, you know, going into BDSM rituals gives me the chance to really hold myself as a, as a sadist and as a masochist and as all of the different parts that I've always struggled with as, when I was younger. However, things like anger still comes up. You know, I, I still have issues <laughs> with anger, which I had to find other kinds of rituals and I had to find other kinds of um, healing modalities to, to really understand what, what that was all about because I had thought about this for a while. Of I thought that going into BDSM had helped me contain all of my anger management issues. Um, and then, like, you know, as I came out of the profession, I realized that I'd been in this, this profession for so many years that actually encouraged that, that endorphin high again and again and again. But then when I wasn't hitting that endorphin high again and again after, you know, coming out of the um, profession... I realized that like, oh, I've got this whole lot of like addiction issues to that dopamine rush that I need to now like figure out as, as you know, a plebeian <laughs> on the streets with no, with no um, sub to hit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it really was about like looking at therapy, at um, breathing techniques, <laughs> at yoga, at almost every, everything and, and really like discovering all over again, like what I needed for, for those kinds of issues well thank you for speaking to that i i think that i think that sometimes there's a tendency when we come across something that is that goes against the mainstream or that is an alternative modality we feel like eureka and we feel like uh all the things that everybody has been telling us is a lie and this is the path this is the solution and there's a lot of there's a lot of dopamine and excitement and also like a sense of of revelation um not to mention like you know fuck the man <laughs> like like elements to it um and 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 i think uh unfortunately uh it, i mean listen i i don't want to i don't want to take anything away from that i think that that's very real and yes and I think that we do uh, also have to get to a point where we have to realize that oh, it's lifelong work. <laughs> You're not just going to like get solved by like one really good beating and uh and then and or that like that 
that being beaten by that exact same person and that exact same way is is always going to work and um and that doesn't it i think there's so there's a lot of narratives of like there's a lot of pathological narratives around bdsm and the idea of sex addiction and the idea that like if you like get used to something and then it doesn't work anymore it's like because it's like a drug that isn't working anymore and actually what i think that what you're saying speaks to is that the best kind of healing integrates so many different forms and so many different kinds and an acceptance that it is lifelong work and BDSM can be a really powerful part of that. So I came into BDSM or my interest in, or I mean, I guess I definitely like was kinky before I experienced sexual trauma, but that um, was really like the impetus for me seeking out a community. I, had this idea that like if I I had what I think is like a very like common stereotypical idea that if I was a top then no one could hurt me oh yes (laughs) (laughs) Um, which isn't the case I felt like I was a little bit out of control and like I needed some structure and that having like creating protocols, having structure, going into a relationship with someone and already there being an expectation that we would talk about boundaries and we would talk about limits um, and that that would be like an open discussion that was expected was something that I was really searching for and that I found, but I think also should go for like all types of sex, all types of play all the time. Thank you guys for speaking to this really hard and sensitive topic. I I have had the experience recently of of doing some coaching and feeling like in some ways like institutionalized medicine and institutionalized mental health has failed us so much. So like community-based like coaching and healing has been such a powerful alternative. And then sometimes I find as like, um, as somebody who is doing that coaching, I feel like, ugh, am I, am I like failing this person because, because I don't have like training or a license. And, uh, but then I think like uh, a lot of people who have training and licenses are full of shit. I don't know if any of you have met any of those people, uh, but I have, and I've, I need, I want my money back. I think something really beautiful that's happening is that a lot of people that come from queer communities that are also able to be out in their work as as being kinky and coming from from that experience and that space are then going to university and going into institutions and getting their licenses and offering healing that is explicit about that and that is explicitly like inclusive and welcoming and so um i i'm i'm just happy that that is happening because i think that again that integration is what we need yeah and i'd just like to plug in um for for manhattan alternative yes a site to find a lot of different clinicians of different kind of practices um a lot of mental health practice um practitioners but um, also Reiki practitioners <laughs> and, and yeah. acupuncturists and um, I think tra- even physical trainers um, who are not only just kink aware but kink educated um, and it's really important to, to seek that pro- professional out because yeah I've gone through my gamut of like so many professionals whom I'd, I'd then have to educate and I'd still get judged back <laughs> totally um, so yeah Manhattan Alternatives 
Yeah, and the Gender and Sexuality Therapy Collective as well are uh, is a really great, great resource. Shout out to them. I think I want to give like five, ten minutes to open up to the room if anybody has any questions about anything that we've talked about today. Does anybody have any questions? Yes. Brilliant question. Thank you. So the question is about using language in ritual. It's, it's really bananas, actually, that I haven't brought this up since that is totally my thing. I was actually thinking about words, Yin, when you were describing how you wax and wane in how much like flesh on flesh sexual desire or interest you may have, but you like are always interested in bondage and I kind of feel that way about dirty talk and and it it feels really it feels really nice to be in a place in my life where I don't feel like a little bit of dirty talk and snuggling is like a consolation prize for (laughs) instead of sex it actually feels like sex it, it doesn't feel like sex. It is sex for me. And it, and it feels really nice to recognize it as that because then I'm coming at it from a place of abundance instead of scarcity. But that's, that's my sexuality. I'm a very language based person. And, but so, and the, the question is about words and, and ritual and protocol. I absolutely think that, you know, if there is a, an honorific that you have for someone that you only call them when you are playing together and that might be daddy or it might be mistress or it might be sir that also can have the same effect as an aroma or a certain uh, kind of music or um or, or a certain or a certain space or a certain outfit of of really sinking into into that role and also yeah maybe certain words that you use to describe someone in like a complimentary way. And I also find that there are certain tones like, like either authoritative tones or like flirty princessy tones or whiny tones that like tend to only come up uh, when I'm playing with certain people. And, and that can be, really intoxicating uh, and, and ritualistic. Like if you're like using that tone, you know, you're asking for it and you're probably going to get it. What do you guys think about language and, and, and even like just like any use of verbiage mm-hmm. for ritual? Yeah, I think language is really important, especially since we were talking about this before. My, my verbal um, communication during play is usually very limited. <laughs> I like to go into like very quiet zones of, of sadism and that's sort of like where, where I use, um, yeah, use tension as you know and silence um however then i'm very scarce with my words but i'm also very like to be very exacting with them so in terms of negotiations um before play i really go through what the person likes to be called for both praise for both and and sexy humiliation how what terms they want to use on their body um on their genitals on their chest all different parts of their bodies like how that how they want to it for it to be named gendered whatever so that i know what makes them feel feel good uh because i feel bad (laughs) right or feel bad in a great way (laughs) um because i feel like that there's you know i've definitely gone into play or seen play where certain words come up and they it just disrupts the entire scene you know and i've definitely seen that I've, i've definitely felt that for myself um i always kind of talk about how like the word stupid for me is like not sexy as a top or a bottom because I was a younger sibling and so it brings up a, a lot of PTSD from, from those years um, and 
So it's like the, the, that word that like, seems so banal or silly can really just trigger somebody to be like, oh yeah, all right, we're done. <laughs> Let me go catch Or and it can seem like it can seem like such a um, slippery slope from like you could love being called worthless and then somebody calls you stupid and you're like, whoa, no, I yeah. lost my boner. Just that one, yeah, slight step, step to the left of, of whatever the But everybody's different. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you might surprise yourself also uh, in, in life, like what you might be open to at, at being open and flexible to change is an important part of knowing what your desires and, and boundaries are. Mm-hmm. And what? then, so, and also, I, I have protocol for how my submissive is to address me when I'm in scene, and then how they're to address me for like a, a social situation, um, and then also even written how I want their ti- the title to be um, for me to be addressed, even through titled of, of emails or text messages. Yeah, I also. Um, I'm scarce with my words during scenes, um, but when I do speak, I uh, tend to be very intentional um, about the words that I'm using, the way I'm addressing the person I'm playing with. Um, I'll like make always make sure to uh, talk that through with them ahead of time um, because there's nothing that like stops a scene quicker than someone like calling you the wrong thing. Um, or like using words that someone isn't comfortable with. Yeah, great question. So the question is basically, we've talked about ritual for opening and closing scenes, but what about using ritual within the scene? Do you guys have tips? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's certain types of ritual play where I will um, actively curate the actual scene with the person, um, especially if they're going into into a ritual of ordeal or a ritual of where they really want to face some kind of trauma. Um, anything where somebody is facing demons or trauma, um, that, that person has to actively be part of the making of the ritual. Um, that there's no, that there, for me, this is how I, how I guide those kinds of play, um, that I am not dominating over them um, during that time when we're, when we're facing trauma together. Um, so if somebody's going through an ordeal path, um, of trying to face some past demons, then we really write it out. We decide what elements are part of it um, together. And it's really that I, I give that, like open it up to whatever their spiritual beliefs are, whatever their energetic beliefs are, whatever they really find meaningful to have in the room with them. Um, and so that there can be mantras, there can be me speak, reading their poetry <laughs> to them while they're in bondage. Um, I need to know if they, you know, if they go into bondage, if they want to go into an extremely quiet zone of like of of going into very meditation space. Um, if it's going to be a ritual where there is a DS relationship, um, then I won't necessarily give them that um, ability to have have control um, over their ritual, except for just giving me the sort of like a set um, their set interests and their set you know um, boundaries. But the ritual would be consist of things like mantras, things like counting, counting strokes, um, and different kinds of games that are rituals, that are ritualized, such as you know, holding, holding, um, you know, facing the wall, holding the, the something up to their nose, <laughs> and they're not allowed to let it fall while I'm flogging them. And if they let it fall, then they get they get punished more. I mean, those kinds of rituals are like games that you can play that. Um, are sort of like just give the give the scene sort of like a purpose 
I would also kind of to add on to that and the previous question, I think having someone say thank you Mm. um, throughout can be like part of a ritual. It can be a protocol. It can be like a way of centering the scene, centering someone and centering yourself um, and remaining present, I think is really important. I, I like it when people say thank you. Yeah, I love, you know, you're generating gratitude. It's really nice. I think we have time for one more question. Yeah. This beautiful question is about if your body is going through any kind of change or if you are experiencing any kind of change that could be gender transition, it could be any kind of gestation, it could be any kind of grief. Um, How do you incorporate ritual into that life transition? Do you guys want to speak to that? Yeah, so I've I've done um, held space for people who are tra- transitioning, and often it looks like a self birthing, where it, or I give them um, a chance to either go into bondage or be held by community space. Um, sometimes it's using pierce, piercing playing. You know, some, sometimes it's using um, just all different kinds of um, BDSM elements. But it's this idea that this person is is remaking themselves and giving themselves the chance to to steer where their transition is going um, and marking that as a moment momentous time because there's so many things that like in our I guess spiritual paths that have been kind of washed away we don't have that many you know coming of age traditions anymore that aren't are really um, personal to us anymore I guess um, some some cultures have like you know sweet 16 Chinese we have like this 12 year old birthday is really important but I feel like those things are, are sometimes getting lost so um, anyone who's going through transi- transition I give, give them a chance to actually create that self-birthing and sometimes it's with their friends and sometimes with um, other people around them yeah or, or just another partner yeah, I love the idea of inventing our own rites of passage. And but I, and I also like the idea, I feel like your question touches on the idea that if there's some consistency as we change, that we like feel ourselves changing, but then we're like ritualistically coming back to something over and over. And maybe it's a song or maybe it is a, a ceremony of some kind or maybe it's a, a ritual of self-care like a like a bath um or maybe it's um some new article of clothing that is like grounding us and reminding us that even as we change there's something fundamental to who we are that uh, uh that we can that we can continue to return to but then also integrate I identify as non-binary. Um, I have a different relationship with my body every day. I experience a lot of anxiety around my gender and just day to day. But something that has been great for me recently is like getting tied. Even though I experience that as like something is happening to my body, it also is like has been a very like meditative way for me to like be in my mind and out of my body enough to like appreciate the experience that I'm having. I don't know that that answers your question exactly. But oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think bondage is a great way to, or a great ritual to go back to again and again for grounding, especially if you're feeling 
feeling out of your body or like or that like so many things are ch changing that you're um because it, it does it does hold you in your body i know that for ptsd a lot of people use those heavy blankets oh yeah to be able to sleep to calm anxiety and it's the same idea and the same as yoga this 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 idea of actually just in, like really settling into your body using breath work to go into your body I feel like bondage, um, whether it's rope bondage or leather, full leather <laughs> bodysuit, is a really wonderful way to just sort of, you know, keep yourself in. <laughs> yeah, like containment. Contained in utero. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's just so many metaphors for it, but really. Or even like accepting like the inevitability of death when perhaps you will be in the cold, cold ground yeah. contained by the earth. <laughs> it's a very calming thing. I mean, even when I'm teaching basic bondage there's so many people who will all of a sudden just be like oh my god I feel so sleepy and like calm and I'm like yeah that's that's the beauty of bondage it's um it can do so many things for some people it totally excites them and they're ready to like get fucked and some people they're just like oh no <laughs> I just want to go sn get snuggly and like you know it's like a it's like a hug that goes on and on mm -hmm. well Bondage may be the hug that goes on and on, but this, this podcast must unfortunately come to a close. That is all the time we have for today. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my loyal live sound engineer, Ben Weber. Everybody give it up for Ben. As always, I want to thank the Pleasure Chest, especially uh, Ryan and Bahar, and of course my guests, Yin Q. Um, yeah, oh, can, yeah, I, yeah. can I do a plug for the oh, yes, events? Plug, yes, please, oh yes, plug away. <laughs> oh yeah, so um, so Kink Out and Red Canary Song are um, both of which I'm part of um, are um, producing a big event on November 2nd at Lot 45. Um, please come out. It's an all Asian American burlesque drag and kink extravaganza but everyone is welcome to come as guests and there's going to be tattoo silent auction by some amazing tattoo artists throughout the city mostly Asian Americans but um, plenty of others um, allies as well and this is to um, this is to support Red Canary Song which is the sex workers organization that supports and advocates for um, East Asian migrant massage parlor workers especially the ones in Flushing um, yeah, who have been who have been really raided and and um, I don't know targeted by the police as of late, um, and then also over no uh, January February King Cat will also be at PS One MoMA, so please come out to Ooh. all of our wonderful events out there too. Hell yeah! And do you want to talk about Leslie Loman as well? Oh yeah! Right now there's a um, queer sex workers art exhibit going on called um, called On Our Backs. And we will be actually doing a panel there with the lovely Tina Horn moderating. <laughs> On November 19th. 19th. <laughs> <laughs> My brains. November 19th with Ashley Page, Sir Malicious, um, Christian, and um, Nashawn Dion Anderson, myself, and Red, Red. from Red from Blue Stockings. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here. And let's also give it up for Iona Pearl. <laughs> Iona Pearl works right here at the Upper East Side, Second Avenue Pleasure Chest. So is there anything in particular that you like love to talk to shoppers about? Uh, our free workshops every Wednesday from 8 to 10. Um, we have uh, at the Pleasure Chest... It, 
education is a really important part of the work that we do. Um, so offering these free workshops every Wednesday um, is really important. Do you have any workshops that you're teaching that are coming up? I think I'm teaching an Awaken Your Senses class some point in December. Awesome. Well, uh, pleasurechest.com slash events is where you can find out the info on all of the upcoming free workshops. And as always, you can subscribe to Why Are People Into That wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me at Tina Horns Ass on Twitter and Instagram. Please support the decriminalization of sex work wherever you can and do what you can to destigmatize whores, sluts, perverts, and queers. Everybody go enjoy your 15% off shopping. The store is open till 10. And thanks for being here. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.